this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering four conversations and a full extra episode from Season 3, Episode 14. Our discussion on complex balloon hepatocytes, the errors they cause in drug assessment, and how AI-assisted technologies can improve analysis. This conversation centers around Quentin Anstey's description of the paper on complex balloon hepatocytes that appeared in January of this year in the Journal of Hepatology. After Quentin describes the study and its results, Stephen Harrison asks a question about what the results might imply in terms of changing our perspective on trial design, and Quentin responds. This issue has pivotal implications for all drug development going forward, and we all need to absorb its lessons. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn and Facebook discussion groups. With all that, why don't we dive in? This is a conversation that really started at NASHTAG about a paper that was released before NASHTAG. This is about the subject of identifying balloon hepatocytes. Quentin, who is a significant author on paper, last author, if I recall correctly, first brought to our attention exactly how striking the findings of this paper are. Since then, Stephen has been known to characterize it as the lonely balloon hepatocyte kind of almost swimming alone in the sea of cells. But obviously, that paper and its findings have dramatic implications for how we think about histopathology, the vital need for AI, and the whole general scoring system. So without much more ado, Quentin, do us all a favor. Take maybe five, seven minutes and run everybody through the paper and exactly what it does and says it is. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Roger. It's fitting that you mentioned NASHTAG there, because this piece of research actually grew out of a conversation that started in NASHTAG between myself, Beth Brunt, and Dean Ty for History index. The, the backstory to this is that I was giving a presentation. I made uh, a foolish comment about the use of Victorian technology to identify and characterize liver biopsies. And Beth and I carried this conversation on at the coffee queue and then decided, right, well, what we need to do is find a way of really understanding what was being seen down the microscope. The big challenge here is that there have been now a number of studies which have been published over the years demonstrating kappa values for, for example, quantifying ballooning in the order of about 0.56, 0.57, coming out from the NASH CRN. So really excellent pathologists, but even over a 15-year gap, not being able to improve those kappa values. And then, of course, you saw the, the data coming out from the Davison paper. Again, the challenges of inter- and intra-observer variation. With those papers, the big question is, well, is it how people apply a semi-quantitative scoring system? Is that where the challenge is? Or is it more fundamental than that? Is it actually the case that people are seeing different things down the microscope? And is that what's contributing to the variation that has been described when these semi-quantitative scores are applied? So we set out uh, for this paper with a, with a number of goals. The first one was to really understand what the pathologists, when they were looking at NASH biopsies, were terming a balloon cell, and to understand whether they were looking at the same cells or different cells. Beyond that, we then wanted to see, well, how well does that correlate to that determination of NASH, no NASH? Because, of course, many of us consider a balloon cell to be really the, the touchstone, the shibboleth that identifies steatohepatitis. And we wanted to see, well, that's our belief, but is that actually how it's being used in practice? And then 
The third part of the paper was to begin to understand whether we could use an artificial intelligence-based machine learning computerized approach tied, in this case, to second harmonic generation microscopy, so SHG microscopy, to actually stabilize that in the ultimate goal for it to be an assistive technology to help pathologists identify balloon cells. But in the first instance, whether we could use the learning we developed with human pathologists to better train those artificial intelligence algorithms. Those were the three goals. Maybe now what I'll do is just quickly walk you through what we did and what we found. So we took nine of the world's leading pathologists who have been incredibly generous with their amount of time they've given, and we asked them to score 10 liver biopsies, looking at these digitized slides and literally drawing round each cell on those slides that they determined to be a balloon cell. And they did that independently. We then waited three months, represented those same images to them, but in a different order, and some of them mirrored or rotated through 90 degrees, and asked them to repeat that same exercise of identifying the balloon cells once more. We then looked to see, well, were all the pathologists identifying the same balloon cells? And this was one of the really striking features from this study, that actually the degree of concordance between pathologists at the cell level was relatively modest, uh, I think would be a fair statement. And this implies that, of course, what they're seeing, what they're determining as a balloon cell, is hugely different between individual pathologists. What we also found was over these 10 sections that they looked at, there was not a single section where every pathologist either considered there was ballooning present or absent concordantly, with the exception of one slide. So, in other words, given that we take the presence of ballooning to be a key feature for the presence of hepatitis and the complete absence of ballooning to be necessary to determine there has been NASH resolution in clinical trials, what we were finding here was that if you took those same slides and gave them to a different pathologist from the trial pathologist, you wouldn't necessarily get that same answer about NASH resolution. So that was an important message in terms of how our thinking should be going forward about trial endpoints and so on. And then we moved on from the data. We developed this concordance atlas of cells where there was commonality, looking at, for example, where three, five, seven pathologists all had selected the same cells. And we were able to use these to train an artificial intelligence uh, histological interpretation, what we call Q-ballooning 2, to better identify balloon cells and with a performance level at least as good as the human pathologists and comparable to those. So, some really interesting features there, Roger. Data about how we perceive balloon cells, information about the variation between observers, which has significant implications, I think, for our thinking about clinical trials. And then finally, how can we fix this? What are the options for the future? And that move to potentially develop better assistive technologies that can that can help us tackle that. Quentin, first of all, thanks for a really uh, elegant summary of a major and complex piece of work. Every time I read or think about this paper, I get a different vision, but the vision I got in this moment was a friend of mine a long time ago whose mother came to the States and she spoke no English. She spoke Polish and Hebrew and a couple of other languages. She would watch American soap operas and then in Hebrew she would tell my ex-wife what it was 
that she had just watched, and she was completely sure she knew the plot, and the plot she talked about had nothing to do with what was going on on the TV screen, because they just weren't looking at the same thing. Uh, this almost feels like that, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's a very good description of this. It, it appears that there isn't a common vocabulary, and although there are some terms and some characteristics that pathologists use that helps them have a broad idea about it. It's only with the advent of digital pathology that they've truly been able to look at exactly the same cells and determine which of them they consider to be truly ballooned. So it's an important differentiation. Okay, great. So we'll be talking about that in detail, that particular sentence in detail in the second half of this conversation. But for now, let me just throw the floor open to questions or comments from our panelists, all of whom are far more learned than I am. Go ahead, jump in, anybody. I'll I'll, uh, jump in. First of all, Quentin, you're a pioneer in this field and a leader, and this is another example of of taking on a major problem and trying to provide answers and and how to move forward. So one thing I always learned from you is a new word, a new term, a new phrase. Today it was shibboleth. Maybe I'm naive. I did not know that word, but apparently that's tagline, catchword, cry, a banner, a slogan, a watchword. And that is very descriptive of a ballooned hepatocyte and the way we perceive that in in our Nash vernacular. And just taking a look back and thinking about Nash tag and where this was presented originally and where the idea came from to do this, you partnering with the pathologist to drive this initiative forward was, in a lot of ways, transformative. And that one slide that we show of the single ballooned hepatocyte, the lone hepatocyte that all nine pathologists agreed upon, you want to replicate that over and over again. And you want to say, what is unique about that cell? What can all nine pathologists take away from that cell that can go teach all the other pathologists and say, this is this is what we're looking at? And I think the SAF kind of gets at that a little bit. It's a bigger cell. You know, it's not a few versus many. It's the size of the cell. I think we're beginning to unravel that, to unpack that a little bit more. But I think this idea of perception, of variation of pathologist viewpoints is critical because it adds to what we already know about the heterogeneity of balloon hepatocytes. So, and I think we mentioned this on the podcast before, we talk about one fifty thousandth of the liver in a core sample. But what we don't talk about is that usually a core generates 13 to 15 slices and we only look at one H and E typically of that core. So really we're taking let's say 1 14th of 1 50,000. So we're looking at 1 700,000th of the liver. And when you look at that heterogeneity on top of a perception and a variation in the style at which they're read, it, it almost becomes like finding a unicorn in a, a unicorn needle in a haystack. I mean, it's really problematic. And I think this AI digital pathology is incredible in, in helping us learn about the variation. But let me ask you this, taking this forward into how we can use this technology to improve drug development, do you see a situation where we can look at the volume change in balloon hepatocytes and link that to a change in fibrosis per se. So Q ballooning, Q fibrosis, kind of collinearity, if you will, just like 
we've done with Q-steatosis and Q-fibrosis, is there a way we can now take this technology into drug development and look at pre and post liver biopsies and maybe say, you don't have to get rid of all ballooning. We just have to show a reduction in a percentage or something like that. So I think that's a really important point you've made there, Stephen. What comes out of this is that identifying a balloon cell is much more complex than certainly we as non-histopathologists have ever appreciated before. This is about subtle changes. And because they are subtle, they're open to differences of interpretation. And so what challenge we're faced with is that there isn't a right answer. We don't actually have a true ground truth. What we did here was by looking at concordance of true expert pathologists, we were able to identify a meaningful number where the majority would agree it was a balloon cell and so on. And I think that opens the way because what we can now do is begin to train these algorithms as we've demonstrated with Q-ballooning 2. And use that, I would hope. And there's a caveat here, which is that the regulators clearly need to agree to this. But we need to use these techniques to allow us to standardise our assessment of ballooning and use that then to be more quantitative. It doesn't necessarily matter if Q-ballooning 2 is perfect any more than it doesn't really matter if a given trial pathologist is perfect. What we require, though, is something that is quantitative and consistent. And once it is able to do that, we can then detect change. And to the second thing you said there, Stephen, which I think is absolutely true, this idea of absolute loss of ballooning is a fiction, and we need to move away from that concept. It should be about reducing it, improving this, because clearly you can give the same image to a number of expert pathologists and potentially Essentially, they will all see or not see a balloon cell in it. And that's not a reflection of their skill, which is tremendous. It's a reflection of how subjective these particular features are. And now, back to Roger. This conversation is sponsored by Histoindex, the world's leading specialist in stain-free AI digital pathology solutions for NASH clinical trials. Join Histoindex for its complimentary webinar, Deciphering NASH fibrosis dynamics in cirrhotic patients and insights into balloon hepatocytes using AI. That's a mouthful. At 11 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time on Tuesday, March 23rd. For more information about that podcast, visit the Season 3, Episode 14, or Histoindex sponsor pages on the Surfing Nash website. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week with a review of high points from the Nash Connect and Liver Connect meetings. Until then, stay safe, surf on, see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. <laughs>